0: Good evening, welcome, welcome online for those who are joining us online. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and we're going to be picking up on verse 24 tonight, 1 Samuel 14 verse 24 and I want to do a, a quick recap of where we left off it was last week, right? Yeah, last week. Um, I did a. I, I noticed this when I put this together, this slide deck. That God didn't make Israel uh, the shape of Israel for TV screens. It's very hard to fit it properly. <laughs> um, but uh, that's fine. This is just a high level. I have like a zoomed in photo. I'm going to show you in a minute. Uh, but this gives you an overall view. And one um, thing I wanted to point out to you, that kind of that red trace line, if you could see that from where you're at, that is the, uh, what's called the kingdom of Saul. So during this time, uh, chapter 14, chapter 15, this is the kingdom of Saul. And around him are all of his uh, enemies, right? And we're gonna learn about that a little bit tonight. Uh, the Amalekites uh, were to the south, And west, southwest kind of towards Egypt, Uh, Edom uh, to the southeast, and then you got Moab, Ammon um, off to the east there. And then um, up in the, uh, sorry, out in the west, you have um, the Philistines, and then up in the north, if I could read it, uh, Zohor, I think. And um, so we're going to learn a, more, a little bit more about this tonight. Where we left off last week, and hopefully you could see that one a little bit better, hopefully you could see uh, Micmash there in the center. And this is where the battle uh, took place that uh, we started out in chapter 14. And if you guys remember, it was really a battle won by the Lord. I mean, there was uh, a couple of guys that took a step of faith, but besides that, nobody else really did much. Um, but it was a uh, kind of just a recap on what happened. You guys remember Jonathan decides, or he sought the Lord and said, "Wow, you know, we serve a big God, and He could do anything, right?" Um, and he said he could even use us to go up against the Philistines. And his armor bearer said, "Do do what's in your heart, you know. I'll go with you." And the two of them went up against the Philistines. The Philistines were encamped in Michmash there. Um, Saul's army was just to the south of them uh, in Gibeah of uh, uh, um, of Benjamin. And the you remember the Israelites were just to the north hiding in the hills. There were some Israelites hiding in the hills of Ephraim. And the Hebrews were... Flipping sides, right? At this time, they were probably hanging out with the Philistines because they looked like they were on the winning side. And so you had these different forces, one to the north, one to the south, and two guys set out to go up against the Philistine army uh, by themselves. And um, they started having a great victory, just the two of them climbing up a canyon wall. Um, We see in a short amount of time, they killed like over 20 guys, And uh, this started unrest. And at the same time, God brings an earthquake to the camp of the Philistines. And the Bible says that they started in confusion. They, They probably think all the Israelites are attacking them while this earthquake is going on because they hear what's going on with Jonathan, right? And so in the confusion, they start turning on each other, killing each other. Probably the Hebrews decided to change, you know change uh, sides at that point, and they started <laughs> chasing the Philistines, uh, the army from the north, the Israelites that were hiding in the, in the caves, they came down and started chasing the Philistines, and then Saul uh, decides uh, to give pursuit as well. And we see at the end of um, verse 23, where we left off last week, Uh, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. And that's just a little bit to the west, so we can see the Philistines are now retreating back to their home country uh, out west near the the sea. Um, So let's pick up verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Wow, how could that be right after what the Lord is doing? And it's the Bible tells us, for Saul had placed the people under oath saying, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. And this is just a foolish oath. These guys are in the middle of a battle. They're about to really... They could have destroyed the Philistine army at this point, but Saul, what I believe, and as we're going through this, I think is what the Lord is telling us, is Saul wanted the attention to be on him, right? And Jonathan, um, maybe he was jealous about what happened, about, you know, all of a sudden there's this victory. He was sitting under a pomegranate tree, just hanging out, and he didn't have anything to do with it. And now he wants to look like somebody who's holy and who's spiritual. And so he places the troops under an oath to say that they can't eat, that they have to fast while they're chasing this army. And we'll find out that they, were actually, they had to chase them about 18 miles okay, while they were fasting. And so this is just obviously a foolish thing to do to your army. Um, but this is what happened. And of course, we see right away that the army was distressed because of it. Uh, verse 25, now all the people of the land came to the forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was honey dripping, but no one put his hands in his mouth, for the people feared the oath. So the people were distressed, and now they're fearful of the oath. And it's, I think it's, you know, obviously God's involvement here. They're, they're chasing, uh, the Philistines are going through the woods, and there's honey everywhere. It's like energy bars, you know, natural energy bars, honeycombs, and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, are you kidding me, right? And uh, then we read on, verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard his father's charge, the people, with the oath, therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dripped it in the honeycomb and put his hand in his mouth and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint." And so it gives us a little more insight in the condition of the people there at the end. But we see Jonathan, and I, when I first read this, I'm thinking, why didn't they tell Jonathan when he was like getting the honey? You know, like, hey, by the way, but I, th- I think they wanted to see what Jonathan was going to do because he's a, you know, he's a godly man. They know he's a godly man, and he wasn't aware of the oath, and maybe he said, well, maybe we get some honey too, you know, if Jonathan gets some honey. So, um, but they told him after the fact, of course. Uh, that his father put him under this oath. Verse 29, But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter amongst the Philistines. Verse 31 now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Micmash to Agelon, And that's that gap. It's about 18 mile gap uh, that they drove them. So the people were very faint. And you could imagine with whatever they're carrying with them, having to travel 18 miles um, through the woods, right? It's not like they were on a road or something. And um, they were obviously in, in bad shape at this point. Verse 32, and the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And Leviticus 19, uh, 26 says... You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divina, divination or saying. And we know this is in the, in the law that God wanted them to drain the blood out uh, while they're preparing the meat. And we see here that the people were so famished by the time the end of the oath. And this is what happened here. The, the oath was for a day. And uh, the new day started at night or in evening for for these people. And so by the time the end of the oath came, uh, they came across the spoils, probably the stuff the Philistines were were leaving behind because it was slowing them down. And so they came across the spoils and they were so hungry and so faint that they uh, just started consuming the food with the blood. And uh, we could see a result here of... What Saul did was really his legalism that he put upon them caused them to sin, right? Caused them to go into this sin uh, that wasn't good, right? That's not something that God wanted them to do. Um, Verse 33. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood, So he said, you have dealt treacherously, roll a large stone to me this day. Then Saul said, disperse yourself among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. And, um, you know, I I was kind of wrestling with this section a little bit because I think, well, what Saul did was he corrected the people. He got them doing the right thing. And some of the commentaries I read said, well, he shouldn't have been building an altar. Because you remember back in, in chapter 13, what, what happened with Samuel, right? Samuel was running late, according to Saul. And so he decided to do the offering on his own. Um, and so some of the commentaries were saying, well, he's kind of doing the same thing. He's taking the role of the priest, and he's a king, and he shouldn't do that. And that may, may be the case, obviously. Um, I think it's, again, down to a heart issue with Saul here that he really wanted to look spiritual. Um, when, I'm, when I'm going through this section, as we get, you know, we're gonna go through chapter 15 as well. Saul was, he was like a politician, you know? He wanted to have that appearance of spiritualness. And so he, he did these things because, I don't think it was for God. It was because the people came and said, this is a sin, this is in the law, and it was important to the people and so he set up these things to look good in front of the people. And um, that's my opinion kind of as going through this is whether or not he was kind of stepping on the, the priest's toes, maybe, maybe the case, maybe not. Um, but definitely, um, I think there was a heart issue with Saul where he's trying to, um, trying to be popular. That's really what it was. And, um, and by doing this and looking spiritual kind of like Samuel, right? Um, verse, um, or Romans chapter eight, verse eight says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is, this is a very uh, practical verse for this section, because you guys remember how this started with Saul's oath and his he said that uh, until I have vengeance, it's my vengeance, right? It's not God's, it's my vengeance. Until I have my vengeance, right? We're gonna have this oath. And so this this was all done in the flesh for Saul, right? And this verse, it blows me away because it's not like a gray area. It's like some things done in the flesh, you know, are good for God, but some things aren't. No, it's very black and white, right? It's very much that, everything done in the flesh, even if it has an appearance of spiritualness, even if it's like, wow, you're hallelujah, brother, praise the Lord, you know, but your heart's not right with God. You're not obeying God. You're not living your life for God, but you're, you're doing things that look spiritual. It says these things don't please God, even if they appear spiritual, you know, they don't please God. And that's what this verse is telling me here. And that's kind of reflective of what we're seeing from Saul here, um, all right, so uh, back to 1 Samuel, verse 36. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. And notice it says they said, it's like, who? who's they? I guess the, probably his advisors or the, the military leaders or whoever but then we get another um, uh, narrative here where it says, then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So some wisdom finally comes out, right? And says, Let's, maybe we should ask God, well, make sure we're on the right path here, doing what we're supposed to be doing. Verse 37, so Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. So um, kind of back there on verse, you know, where it says, Saul sought God, but God didn't answer him that day. Um, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And I think this is the reason why, Saul didn't get an answer from the Lord, is that he wasn't following the Lord, right? And, um, you know, he wanted an answer to stay or go, and God was just quiet. He wasn't speaking to Saul at that point, right? Um, We'll see at the beginning of chapter 15, he actually does give a message to Saul. But at this point, he has nothing to say to Saul because of the situation he's put the people in. Um, And so now Saul's out on his own again. And so, you know, this isn't from the Lord, but we see this Uh, Verse 38, and Saul said, come over here, all the chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel through it, or saves Israel, though it may be Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. So Saul makes another oath. (laughs) But not a man among all the people answered him. And what a foolish thing! And I think the root of this is is that Saul's jealous of Jonathan. You know, he sees him as a threat to a political threat to his kingship um, because of what happened. That the, you know, through Jonathan, God used Jonathan. Ultimately, God did the work, but He used Jonathan to you know uh, destroy the Philistines and get them to retreat. And I think Saul uh, kind of has some bitterness because he just throws Jonathan's name right out there. Like, even if it's Jonathan, you know, we'll just have to do away with him. You know, he's my son, but oh well. Um, and uh, it's just a kind of a sad, um, sad thing to see from Saul here. Uh, and of course, the people didn't say anything. And you remember the issue with the honey, right? And so this is what we're going to get to. Uh, Then he said, uh, verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. So he separated the people from him and Jonathan and the people said to Saul, do whatever seems good to you. Verse 41, therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So they're going to roll the dice and see who, uh, who it ends up on. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. I, don't, I read this and I think, what happened if the people were picked? Like, what do you do then? You know, it's like 10,000 people. What are we going to do with that? But anyway, so it landed on Saul and Jonathan. Verse 42, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. And, um, I, you know, I read this a couple of ways. I mean, in a way it comes across a little bit sarcastic. It's like, are you serious? I have must die now because I had a little honey. Um, but, you know, looking at Jonathan's life, I don't think he was afraid of dying. Because the way he went up against the Philistines and he thought, well, it, in my mind, what Jonathan's saying here is, well, look, if that's what it needs to happen, that's fine. You know, I'll have to die and, it, you know, put his hands in the Lord, which is, which is what he's done. And I think he was okay with that. Um, verse 44, Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Can you believe that? I mean, when I read that, I'm thinking, your, your son... How could you say that about your son? And it's, it's almost the outcome he wanted, right? Was to get rid of his son. Um, it, it just blows me away. Uh, verse 40, 45, and thankfully some, some sense was brought in here. And, and of course, Saul loves listening to the people. Uh, but the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair on his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So they retreated to Philis, Philis, Philista, <laughs> and um, and, and that's the end of the battle. Jonathan didn't die. And we're gonna go into um, this last section at the end of chapter 14. Um, there's We had like a, a zoomed in ver, uh, version of this event. And now we're gonna kind of zoom out and look at about a 10 year gap from what we just read to where we get at chapter 15, verse one. And so this gets us a little bit of a summary and a genealogy of Saul. Uh, so verse 47. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all of his enemies on every side. And if you guys remember that map I showed at the beginning, and you could just look at all the, all the different enemies that were all around him. Oh, thank you. Uh, all the enemies on every side against Moab against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites. And that's what we're gonna read about in chapter 15. And delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Um, And we'll read the the genealogy here in a minute. But what amazes me, we don't hear in this Section, and obviously we don't get a lot, but we don't hear about Samuel talking to Saul. We don't hear about God talking to Saul, but yet we have this um, view of Saul that he, his sovereignty over Israel, and that he had victory, that he was probably seen as a very successful leader during this time. 10 years that, um, God probably wasn't talking to him at all. There was, you know, God gave him direction before in chapter 14, and um, then was silent. And for 10 years, and from the world's perspective, you got to think people were thinking, man, this guy's, he's a good guy. He's a good king. He looks like a king. You remember, he said he was very handsome. He's very tall. Um, he's having great victory against his enemies. And... Um, it would appear from the world's perspective that he was doing something right. You know, he was very successful during this time. That's the way I read it, um, which, you know, is, is interesting because it's not all about what's, you know, how people f- appear from the outside, you know, um, because we don't see anything spiritual here at all from Saul. And we'll see uh, in chapter 15 kind of things progress for him. Uh, verse 49, the sons of Saul were Jonathan Sorry, I struggle with some of these names, so we're just going to go through them. Jeshua and Malshishua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahanoam, and daughter, uh, the daughter of Ahamaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle, Kish, was the, was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Verse 52. Now there was a fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. And... Um, if you guys remember, I think the last time I taught in 1 Samuel was in chapter 8. That was what God promised when they asked for a king, that, um, that he's going to take your sons and daughters. And here it tells us that anytime he saw somebody that looked like he was battle ready, he just took them for himself. Sorry, he's no longer, he's no longer living with you. He's part of my army. And so that's what Saul did. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel also Samuel also said to Saul Keep in mind this is 10 years later the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord And isn't that great so the Lord's going to to me this is a second chance for Saul that now you know, second, third, fourth chance, right? But this is multiple chances. Samuel, uh, God sends Samuel to plead with Saul to heed the voice of the Lord. And he's gonna give him a message here. Um, But this reminded me of uh, Lamentations 3, uh, chapter three, verses 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, um, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And um, that just blows me away. I mean, how much Saul kept messing up, kept messing up, kept messing up. And yet Samuel is sent by God again to say, let's, let's give this a go again. Maybe you'll listen, you know, you'll listen to the Lord and what he has to say. And uh, good advice for us, right? Heed the, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Uh, Verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. And just in case you need clarity, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, every living thing, utterly destroy them. Verse four, so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came uh, to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And so a couple of things I wanna point out here is that, um, first of all, this Section could be troubling for some people, because you're like, what do the infants do and the nursing children? You know, aren't don't they seem in, they seem innocent, right? So why would God say to utterly destroy all of them? Um, and I think s- simply put, that we we don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm going to make some assessments. I'm going to tell you about the Amalekites and what they did. Um, and, and why this happened. But really, we don't know all of God's ways, right? And sometimes God does things that we look at and we see and we go, man, I don't, I don't totally understand, but this is part of our faith, right? That God is just, right? He is holy. Um, when we sin, when the Amalekites sin, when the children of Israel sin, when any of us sin, the just thing is God's wrath. That's what we deserve. That's the wages of sin is death. And so that's what we deserve. And so anything besides that is the mercy of God, right? Any of this time that the Amalekites were given to repent is from God, right? The mercy, mercy of God. Um, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy together. I just want to point out kind of where this comes from or a little bit of history here. Uh, Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 through 19. Okay, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. And this is the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness right on the way. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear. When you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And um, we see what they did. I mean, they were uh, like, like terrorists almost, right? They, were, um, they didn't face the army straight on they were waiting for maybe some older people in the back that were straggling behind, maybe some wounded people, maybe some kids, maybe you know some people that were just weaker and they would, they would uh, attack them and kill them. And God said, I, I see you, I see what you're doing, <laughs> right? Um, and that's gonna be repaid, right? God's wrath is going, it's gonna be on the Amalekites. And we see that here that uh, Samuel, through Samuel, charges Saul, um, to do this, to wipe out the Amalekites completely, and so we'll pick up in uh, verse six, back in First Samuel chapter fifteen. Oh, let me let me share with you this one verse, verse that I got. Um, and this is just always a good thing to remember. If we if we ever think of, uh, you know, why Lord, this does, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, Isaiah fifty five eight through nine for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways nor are your ways my ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts and so we have to keep that in mind and um, just from you know I don't I don't think God's going to call us to uh, go wipe wipe out the um, uh, the Canadians or anything, um, you know, from here. But uh, you know, like like anything in the Old Testament, we have to look at the pictures, right? And the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh, and so um, God uh, does want us to uh, utterly wipe out the flesh, right? And we're going to struggle with that, right, in our bodies uh, while we're still here. Galatians. Um, 517 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And um, so we're always going to have this battle, but we should be putting those things of the flesh to death, right? That's That should be through through um, through being spiritual, right? Through seeking the Lord, through praising the Lord, through... Prayer, through worship, through um, through reading his word and being obedient to his calling upon our lives, we should be putting those things of the flesh to death. And that's a picture of what Saul needs to do with the Amalekites, right? Is to put those things to death. Um, verse six, then Saul said to the Kenites, now the, just so you guys know, the Kenites were, um, you remember Moses, his Father-in-law, they were Kenites. Okay, so uh, so Saul said to the Kenites, "Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt." So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed." And you guys can see, obviously, that, God didn't, or that Saul did not follow God's directions completely. There were some things in the flesh he thought were good, and he decided to keep those around. And other things he was okay with getting rid of because they were worthless to him. Uh, but obviously, some things were good to him, and so he decided to keep him. Uh, verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. L- listen to this, guys. And he cried out to the Lord all night. That blows me away, because if I'm in Samuel's shoes, I'd be so frustrated with Saul, I'd be like, okay, do what you want to, Lord. That's fine. <laughs> but Samuel had a heart for Saul. I mean, um, I think he had had hoped for Saul that he would, that this time Saul would follow through, that he would hear from the Lord and do what he was supposed to do. And it broke his heart. And um, that's just cool. Uh, Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument, (laughs) listen to this, for himself, Look at that great monument I made to myself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. It almost sounds like he's, a, he's avoiding Samuel a little bit here, but I don't know. <laughs> but he builds a monument to himself, which is, you know, that's salty for you, right? Um, verse uh, 13, then, then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you, (laughs) look what Saul says, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So he's bragging about his, uh, that he followed through and obeyed the Lord. And um, of course we know he didn't do that. Um, it, It reminds me of, you know, this story reminds me so much of the Pharisees because, you know, outwardly, Saul, I'm sure, was telling everybody, well, Samuel told me to do this, and I did it, and look what great victory I have. He probably didn't give him all the details, you know, Well, yeah, we went in and destroyed the Amalekites, and, um, and, and look how holy I am. I'm even going to build a monument to myself, you know, that's how great I am. Um, so in a way, that reminds me of the, the Pharisees and the life they, they lived. Um, not all the Pharisees, but the ones that Jesus criticized, Right. Uh, Verse 14, but Samuel said, I love this. What then is that bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen, which I hear? And so, some people think that Samuel was blind and that's why he was saying this like, hey, I hear sheep and oxen, you know, what's, what is that then, Saul? What's going on? But I don't know if he was just like being smart or if he was actually blind, but um, it's kind of. Kind of funny. So verse 15, and of course, Saul comes up with an excuse. And Saul said, they have brought, of course, is he blaming himself here? Nope. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. And uh, look what he says, your God. It's no longer my God, right? The Lord, your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. That's, that's like Bible for shut your mouth, right? And um, Saul had, or Samuel had some clout. Um, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord has sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until, you are, until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And I think um, Saul made God appear to be a pillager, you know, that God needed the the spoils, you know, that God needed, this is a mission from God and he needed the spoils from the, from the battle, you know, and he made him out, really he made him out to be a pillager and that's not what God commanded him to do at all. Uh, Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I've I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I obeyed the voice of the Lord. And then what he says, and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. Well, (laughs) he's alive still. You You didn't obey the voice of the Lord, obviously, right? I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Doesn't he sound like a politician, this guy? Like he's like, twisting this talk. No, I did it. I did it. And I brought back Agag, you know? Um, crazy. But the, but the people took, uh, the people, of course, right? He blames the people. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, sacrificed to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And verse 22, and I have this verse circled in my Bible because I just, I love it so much. One of my favorite verses. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And that's, you know, Saul the sacrifice to him to me was just an image was to just look good in front of the people right and it's like well i don't want to obey the lord i just rather give this sacrifice that's easier for me and that that was Saul's thing right and samuel say no to obey is better than sacrifice and um, let's let's read read on and then i want to do a comp- little bit of a comparison with david and his life uh, compared to what we see from Saul here. So verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idol- as sorry is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, listen to this. I have sinned For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words. He should have just stopped there. It was perfect. Like he was repenting. Can you believe it? Saul repenting. Oh, comma. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now we get to the real reason why. Verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me. Right? Because he wants to look good next to Samuel that I may worship the Lord. Of course, right? Um, If we can, let's turn to Psalms 51. I just want to compare, now that we see kind of Saul's heart and how he approached the Lord, I want to compare what David did after he was confronted by another prophet, right? He was confronted by Nathan after he sinned with Bathsheba. And he wrote this Psalm, and we could just see the Kind of the contrast, and the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and that's what it gets down to, right? Saul didn't have the heart for the Lord at all. Um, So I'm going to read just verses 1 through 17, Psalm 51, uh, written by David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And you guys see that. I mean, it's almost the exact opposite of Saul. He knew God didn't, it wasn't about the sacrifice. It was about the heart, that it was a true repentance from David that you saw there. He didn't say because, but, uh, but you know, the people, I didn't have a choice. You know, he just said, I sinned. I committed this sin, Lord, please forgive me. And you see the, just the total opposite from Saul here, Um verse, uh, where we leave off? Verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So Saul, of course, de- Completes his departure from God here, right? And Samuel and the, the kingdom is going to be pulled from him. Verse twenty seven. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. (laughs) And he can't even complete the sentence here. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Again, the Lord your God, right? Verse 31. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, this is crazy, but verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord and Gilgal. I and mean, just can you imagine this old prophet? <laughs> and I don't know if, if it's true if he was blind. I guess that would explain why it said he hacked him. Because, you know, you probably didn't know where he was exactly. Um, and he just starts swinging away. But um, it, it sounds pretty violent. But Samuel had to do the work that Saul didn't do. Right and Saul didn't do the do the job and we actually, you know, the Amalekites will come up again. I I think um, well they will come up quite a few often. But in Esther, Haman is a Agagite. He's a descendant from Agag, and he you know plots to wipe out the Jews there in Esther. Right, and so um, there's a reason why God wanted to wipe out the Amalekites. Right, but uh, Samuel takes care of business here. Uh, Verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And I wrote down... um, Kind of five things that Saul substituted, you know, kind of comparing Saul and David a little bit. Uh, But Saul, he was substituted. He he preferred to say the right thing over doing the right thing, right? Um, He also did, he created excuses rather than confession, And so even when he knew he messed up, it was all about excuses and not just confessing his sin. Um, Saul preferred sacrificing, right? Doing sacrifice over obedience. Um, Saul had his reputation as a higher importance than his character. You know, he really wanted people to see him well. Now we look back at him and he doesn't have a good reputation, uh, but at the time, I think that was the most important to him rather than his character and let his reputation be whatever it is, right? And then Saul um, would rather go after his will than God's will. And that's, that seems pretty obvious. So that's it for tonight, guys. Um, any questions? we'll get We'll get to learn more about King David i'm sure you guys have read ahead before, but um, I'm excited and of course Saul will stay around. I think he chases David for the next ten years trying to trying to subvert god 's will of David being king over Israel um, but I look forward to it so continue on next time let's pray dearly father Lord um, Thank you for the message tonight, Lord. Thank you for uh just teaching us and showing us through your word, Lord, that uh, we need to be careful about just appearing holy, Lord, and just um, saying the right things but not meaning them, not being in the spirit Lord, just just uh being christianese more and um lord that that these things matter to you, that our heart towards towards others, our heart towards you. Um, they, they matter greatly, Lord. So I pray that if, uh, if anyone here struggles with that, Lord, that we would, we would re- truly repent and seek you first, Lord, and not, not be like Saul, not be like the Pharisees, but be like David where when we fall down, Lord, that we truly just get before our knees and, and, and ask for repentance, Lord, and, and not make excuses like Saul, Lord. Uh, Lord, we just love you and praise you. You ask that you be with us tonight as we go from here and throughout the week, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.